If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. Yes, I am your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. Still having problems, believe it or not, with our friends at Facebook. Probably the same folks that were caught on secret camera, hidden camera, by the folks at Project Veritas for showing their political biases and how that affects their job and how that affects what they censor on Facebook. I don't know. There's there's two potential explanations for this. So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of this soon. But to my knowledge, I don't think folks can access our website. I don't think they can access our website through Facebook. So the two, really quickly, the two explanations, one is, one is that they didn't like a post that we made, which is totally benign and harmless. Totally, 100%. That's the first thing. Number two, um, I need to update my identity so that they know I'm not a Russian. Let them know I'm not a Russian so I can comment on all things political as we enter in these final, what, 90 days, less now than 90 days before the, well, the, the election, November just a couple of couple of months away. So anyway, hopefully we get that figured out. But it's good to be here. Thank you for for joining us. I want to start. I want to start just really quickly on this. Really quickly on this. The politics of a couple of things. The politics of we're going to talk about the politics of race a little bit later today. But I want to talk about first and foremost the politics of coronavirus. So we know that President Trump over the weekend, we talked about this yesterday, instituted or executed four executive orders pertaining to legislation that is designed – or not legislation, orders, executive orders. It it pertains to the executive orders, but it's – the executive orders have been written – and um, being enacted, if you will, although there will be legal challenges, there's questions here. There's legitimate questions here, uh, but there's also a bunch of stupid things Congress has done over the years that make this thing, this sort of thing possible. But Congress has abdicated its responsibility for some time to actually legislate, so they kicked that can down the road to the president, and not just this one, but any president. And so normally they're safe because normally they don't have a president that uses executive orders in ways that 
um, you know, the radical left is not in favor of. Usually these this sort of stuff is is done uh, with the support of of leftists. So this is usually not a problem. Lovers of of big government that want to see total expansion and erosion of liberty and that sort of thing. But President Trump is basically uh, using these executive orders to draw a line in the sand and say this is, you know, we're not going to let politics interfere with what needs to be done. Now, we can argue. I, I Again, I'm not necessarily on board with all of this, uh, all of these things, but from a political perspective, it is a very, um, it's kind of a brilliant move from the politics of this, because now he's drawn the line in the sand. As I said yesterday, he took the Trump 2020 flag or his MAGA flag and firmly planted it in the ground, right? If we're using the analogy of some sort of a political battlefield here. He staked the high ground of taking care of or helping citizens adjust to the continued problems that have been created by coronavirus and by our government's responses to coronavirus. In fact, I would go as far to say the government responses to coronavirus are much more of a problem than the coronavirus itself. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying coronavirus. I'm talking about the economic ramifications. I'm talking about coronavirus itself. Of course, it's real. Of course, it needs to be dealt with. Of course, people need to be safe. Of course, uh, people. some people don't have any symptoms. Some people, um, it, it, it kills them. It puts them on ventilators. It makes them incredibly... Six, so it's it's a wide, it runs a wide spectrum, a wide range. This virus does, and there's you know again there's real real danger with the virus. I'm talking about the economic implications and impacts. Most of these have been caused by politicians. There are ways. In fact, I hesitated whether I was going to bring this up. Well, I wanted to bring it up. I just didn't necessarily want to bring it up this early, but I feel like it fits here as I'm just, again, talking talking this through with you. But I have a friend. He lives in the People's Republic of California. His name is Sam. He has um, – his wife is an esthetician. I didn't know she was an esthetician until, until we were chatting yesterday. But he shared with me – he shared with me what was going on in – the People's Republic of California. Now, to my, I don't know if I would call Sam. I don't know if he's he's a liberal. He's he's not a conservative. I think he is in ways that, in some ways. Um, but I just want you to listen to what he told me. I'm going to summarize. I want to summar, uh, summarize this. Um, his wife owns a business. She is an esthetician, and she's been shut down in the People's Republic of California for five months. He said almost five months. Shut down. Not open. Not taking customers. So he he said they let her open for two weeks. Then all the rioting started out there. Then, of course, there was a big spike in coronavirus, which he... Ironically added here, had nothing to do with the riots, of course. 
and she's been shut down ever since. So basically closed for five months. She does facials, waxing, all of this. He said she was being super safe. Everyone was wearing a mask, deep cleaning, super cleaning, as he put it, between every client. Only one client at a time in her shop still didn't suffice for the state, excuse me, the People's Republic of California. Then he said, now, we laughed about this, but it's not funny. This is someone's livelihood. But it's just, it's funny from the sense of how stupid, how stupid the government is. Are you ready for this? And how selfish, how, how completely self-absorbed governments are. He said this. Another really funny thing happened. Just last week, they said she could start doing her services. So they told her, you can start offering your services. But guess what? You have to do them outside. <laughs> he said, imagine getting a facial or a Brazilian wax out in the parking lot. <laughs> so, so the Cal- state of California, excuse me, the People's Republic of California tells my friend, you can go out. She, she, well, his wife, his, his, my friend's wife, you can, you can offer your services. They cannot come inside. You can do it outside. You can do it outside of the parking lot. And I don't know if, if I think, I think Sam lives up around, I think it's the near in the area of San Francisco, the Bay Area, I believe. You know, take it out there into the parking lot and everything's fine. What is wrong with people? And on top of that, he told me, she just had to renew her business license. It was 900 bucks. And <laughs> and if you want to open outdoors, you have to get a permit, $250. These people are absolutely insane. These people running our governments, the bureaucrats, who, by the way, I guarantee you they did not take a 50-cent pay cut during all of this. These jokers are getting paid full-time. These jokers are getting paid whatever it is that they make, which probably to begin with is an ungodly amount of money. It's probably one and a half to two times what someone in the private sector makes. And, of course, their salaries are paid for by the taxpayer in the private sector. So they're already making more than their counterparts in the private sector being funded by the taxes of the private sector. So they're already in a disproportionate burden to the taxpayer. Now they're coming up with these arbitrary rules that are hurting. It's just ridiculous. That's hurting the business's ability to create revenue and therefore, which is all that matters in the minds of the radical left and the bureaucrat, is money for money for taxation so that they can fund their Retirement plans, have nice cozy jobs, have four or six weeks of vacation, whatever nonsense they get to sit there and do nothing except implement stupid rules like this. Now, I'm not saying that all governments you know, unnecessary or that anyone working in governments a problem. I'm just speaking in general terms here. This is what I mean. If you're going to come up to a business who's not been open for five months because of your own rulings because of your own you know your dictates your governor's dictates who's out there telling people in church they cannot they cannot sing give me a break how's this not an infringement upon our freedom of religion you can't sing you're going to target singing in churches preposterous 
And so they say to businesses, you cannot open. And by the way, here's the bill, 900 bucks. If they had any sense of decency about them, they would waive these or make the, these licenses um, at least uh, prorated. Maybe that is prorated. Man, God only knows what it costs to operate a business in the People's Republic of, of California. I wouldn't. I don't think I would do it. This show would not exist. I would have to go anywhere else. Well, I say anywhere else. It might not exist in a couple of other states as well. But I can't imagine operating under the heavy hand of the of the state of excuse me, the People's Republic of California. So it's it's only funny because it's it's ridiculous and absurd. This would not fly in your home. This would not fly in your business. This would not fly in your church. I mean, just imagine this would not fly if you're on the board of directors for Little League football. If someone came in to say, "Hey, we're not going to have, you know, we're not going to have the football season this year for Little League football, but we're still going to make people pay. Still going to make people pay." Um, you know, the the fee that the kids would normally have because, hey, after all, we rely upon those funds. Well, Steve, well, Susie, uh, they're paying for football season that we're not having. Yeah, I know, but we need that. Well, but they're not able to operate their businesses, so their money's probably a little bit tight. Yeah, but we know best. If they want their kid to play next year or whatever, that's the kind of thinking that this is. And here we are just marching along into lunacy in the People's Republic of California. So I wanted to – I was thinking about whether or not to share that. I just kind of came up organically here. But the politics of coronavirus. So the Democrats, of course, Trump has staked his ground and said, this is – I'm going to stand up for the little guy, right or wrong, whether this will get legally challenged, whether this will get overturned. Trump on a political side has has – in my mind, in my estimation, capitalized on this opportunity and is now basically making the Democratic Party, making the Democratic Party have to def- explain why they're not helping people out. Now, whether that's where we should be as a cult, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the politics of this. I'm talking about how he's effectively taken uh, their narrative away on this. That's kind of where we stand um, with this particular situation. And Democrats have left town. They've left town. No decision has been reached. And so politically, if Republicans had left town, what we'd be, what we'd be hearing now is how Republicans don't care about those who are impacted negatively by the coronavirus, those that are still unemployed. There's no federal benefits, all this stuff, right? I mean, this is how this, this, is how this works. This is where you get ads of someone pushing grandma off the cliff in a wheelchair. Quite literally, this was the ad because Republicans didn't support something or whatever the case was. And it's always interpreted in the worst possible way imaginable when Republicans are on the other side of the issue. Democrats are on the other side of the issue. I mean, crickets, basically. But they've left town 90 days from an election. This is all politics. Right now, this is 100% politics. This isn't even... I don't even know how much this is This is ideologically driven at the moment. This is all about winning in, in November. That's what all this is about. And they've made a decision. I don't understand how they think this is a good decision here, Democrats leaving town. Because I think the Democrats struggle with, with massive ego and pride. They're not going to capitulate and give in to Trump, but I think he's, I think he's kind of checkmated them here on this. 
Anyway, coronavirus being made political, but not just coronavirus. We've got race that's being made political as well, which we all know, but I've got some new ways that race is being politicized in the United States of America as we are embarking upon the 2020 election. And Oz is telling me it is time to take a break, and she would be correct. We're going to do that just now, come back and talk about the politics of race in the 2020 election. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. So, wanted to um, briefly mention here, you may have seen yesterday, President Trump, White House press briefing, Secret Service, walks up to him, ushers him off stage um, because there was a shooting outside, outside the White House. And of course, I mean, who knows what's exactly going on here. In fact, what they've Secret Service said was that a 51-year-old male allegedly approached a uniformed division officer who was standing at his post on – I'm looking at a Fox News article here – at his post on the corner of 17th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue near the White House. I mean this is literally – I mean the White House address is 1600 Pennsylvania, so we're at 17th Street. So this is right in front of the White House. The man told the agent he had a weapon. And while he approached, took off in a sprint and, quote, in a drawing motion, withdrew an object from his clothing, end quote. The suspect, it continues, quote, the suspect uh, then crouched into a shooter's stance as if to fire, as if about to fire a weapon. The statement read, at that point, the agent fired his weapon and struck the Subject in the torso. So that's, you know, the the shooting was right outside, effectively, the White House. So Secret Service came to get President Trump, ushered him off stage. He came back. He came back um, a little bit later and, and, and continued. But the point is, is that, you know, there's always the opportunity or the possibility that there's just someone who's, I don't know, crazy or violent or whatever. But there's also the possibility that we've created, we, As a culture, I'm going to say the media and leaders of the Democrat Party, they have created this culture to where there's so much hatred and angst for this president that I don't want to say that it justifies this because I think that's – we're not – we're moving in that direction though. We're moving in the direction to where there's so much angst, hatred just off the charts. Just – I mean the amount of – disdain and hatred for this guy can stir i'm just look it, it's possible that this is impacted it impacts people's mind i mean just look at what happens when there's riots in these cities now it's a, it's different in a sense that it's not well say it doesn't it's not targeting trump or not in response to trump but in many ways those are even as well but you get to the point where people can justify in their minds or they don't believe that they're wrong or whatever for burning businesses down. They think that they're justified for looting businesses. I saw I saw a, um, a headline where a woman was looting stores saying, I can't breathe. And you just look at all this and how far our culture has come in certain, you know, areas of the country or 
amongst certain individuals, how far we've come from reason and logic to just complete and utter nonsense. I mean, this we got some dark behavior and thinking out there. And I'm not saying that that's what's influenced him, this uh, alleged shooter here. I'm just saying that that's certainly a possibility. You know, that's certainly a possibility with how far off the rails some of this commentary has gone and how much some of this hatred. I mean, we have Trump compared to Hitler, right? I mean, that's, and I know people on the Republican side um, did this with, with Obama and all that. And I, look, there's free speech. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to make a political point, but I am saying that there comes with this, there's a certain degree of responsibility. Just because we can and we are free to do something doesn't mean that we should. Doesn't mean that we should. And I feel like the cacophony of of, uh, voices here that are accusing Trump of being Nazi, Hitler, is much louder. Again, not that it was justified with other presidents, but you, you get my point. This is just, I think these are questions we have to, we have to at least, um, ask ourselves. So I told you before the break, we're going to talk about the politics, not just, not just of coronavirus, which we, which we talked about, but I also want to talk about the politics of race. Specifically, I want to talk about, I don't know if you've seen this. I saw this first, I think in Fox, that's what I'm pulling up right now is this article in Fox News where Leaders, I'm just, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to summarize this. So head, let me just read the headline. Headline Fox News. Black male leaders warn Biden will lose election if he doesn't not, uh, name black female running mate. And so they've written uh, a group of, of black male leaders. A group of black male leaders have written this, I guess, statement. I saw it was tweeted out by Kate Stafford. She, I believe she writes about racial, yeah, national race and ethnicity writer with the AP. So she's tweeted this out. It says this, more than 100 black male leaders signed statement of solidarity requiring, requiring, a black woman vice president. So I want to read this, and I'm going to share some of the signatures on here. Some of these, so I don't have, look. It looks like it was written by Sean Diddy Combs, as it says here. I think I've shared this on, on here before. Humors the heck out of me. But when I was in college, I tell you what, I, li- <laughs> I live sometimes in a cultural, but like I, I don't go about my own business. I didn't listen to this type of music or whatever, but I had friends that started calling me Huff Daddy back in the day when we were on the football team at Butler. And I honestly didn't even know that it was a play on words, so to speak, for for Puff Daddy, because I didn't, I didn't know who, it sounds ridiculous. I know it's been 20 years ago, whatever. I didn't even know who the guy was. Just thought that Huff Daddy, okay, whatever. You know how guys, we come up with nicknames. I just thought, whatever. Didn't think much about it. Until one day I heard that, and then I think there were some other discussions about it at some point. But Sean Diddy Combs 
is the one that appears to have written this in solidarity with a bunch of other signatures that uh, as well, demanding that there's a black female vice presidential choice by Joe Biden. And we're still waiting. We're still waiting breathlessly for Biden and his team. I, I, I'm telling you, the more this draws out, the more I find myself wondering if people aren't so sure that they want to take this risk. I, I just, it's just a hunch. I just, uh, President Trump chose Mike Pence almost a month, announced his choice almost a month sooner in the timeline. It was July 15th or 16th when Trump made it. And there's a story with that. I thought about sharing that story as well, if you've not heard that, with how, how Pence was chosen to be vice president. But, but, um, here we are a month later on the timeline in 2020. And we still don't know. It's the only – I'm telling you, there's, it's one of two things. It's that the, they know this is the only thing that, that makes them relevant is who Biden's going to name as vice president, his choice, hopefully not as the actual vice president because that's not at all what we want to see in this nation of a, a Biden presidency. But it's either that or, or people aren't so sure they want to be a part of this. That was the narrative back in 2016. Pence didn't want to be, or whoever was going to be vice president for Trump was just signing a political death sentence. That was the narrative. You may not remember that. You might. But that's what they were telling us back then. I think that the likelihood that that's the case now is higher. Now, I know, you know you're, you're someone who's politically influential or you're on the short list. It's hard to say no to this because, after all, this is – a big deal. You don't get these opportunities much. You just think about the power, the prestige, how many books you could write. This is all the average politician thinks. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to um, to say no. But at the same time, you're thinking, look, I'm not necessarily going to hitch my wagon to a guy that's going to implode here in the next 90 days when he goes out on the debate stage with President Trump. I'm not sure that that's the course of action I want to take either. So I'm telling you, I think there's a bit of that going on. So anyway, we'll talk about this letter when we get back. Sit tight. Be back in just a minute. Welcome back. Okay, so reference this last segment. We've got a letter from Diddy signed by lots of other more than 100 black male leaders. They signed this statement, and here's what the statement reads. As someone who has said throughout the campaign that VP Joe Biden needs to choose a black woman VP, the urgency for that pick has gone from something that should, all caps, happen to something that has, all caps, to happen. So it always should have happened, according to P. Uh, P. Diddy and all of the other um, folks who signed this. Now, I think the word, so should, again, I asked the question, why? Why? How in the world? We're literally... I look at this and I think this is a trajectory that we're on where it is – I mean th- this is racial identity politics 100 percent and gender, whatever, the, the combination thereof. Black woman has to be, should be, should implies what one 
the, the decision that one ought to make if one is interested in doing the right thing. Why is this right or wrong? I'm not suggesting it's wrong, but why is it right to pick a black woman? In what universe do these folks think and operate in to where that is an issue of should? Now it has to happen, P. Diddy writes. It disgusts us, disgusts us that black women are not just um, being vetted in this VP process, but unfairly criticized and scrutinized. Who's un? What in the world? Unf- is Karen Bass being unfairly scrutinized and criticized? Are you kidding me? Does anyone have the slightest idea of the vetting process that goes on? Are we now saying that there shouldn't be any vetting whatsoever? P. Diddy and the other 100 plus black male leaders. By the way, I saw Al Harrington. Al Harrington used to play for the Indiana Pacers, who I don't watch anymore. They can wear whatever they want, play on the court that says whatever they want, don't care, whatever. But Al Harrington, back in the back in the day, uh, when the Pacers were really, I think he played with Reggie for a while. So those were the golden years for the Indiana Pacers. We'll, we'll never, we will never reach that point again. Never reach that point again, the, the, the heyday for the Indiana Pacers in the NBA, and it's sad. It really is. Anyway, so Al Harrington's on this list. I didn't even, didn't even. I mean, I don't know why, but he's on the list. It just caught my attention because I knew a lot of these names I don't know. A lot of these folks are just folks that I don't, uh, some I did, of course. But anyway, what, what do they think? That you're going to run for vice president? You're not going to be scrutinized? You're not going to be criticized? Is, is this in a response to Karen Bass? who has communist sympathies for the dictator of Cuba? Is that what this is about? And what is he ta- unfairly criticized and scrutinized? I mean, the process of being Biden, <laughs> Biden described it as having a physical and public, which is a troubling image nonetheless. But they may not, I mean, Biden's an old white guy. I mean, that's what Democrats nominate, are old white guys. 2016, they nominate. Well, they on their on their you know the people running for office for the the nomination. They had five, and there were four old white guys and a Clinton. That's what they had in 2016 and 2020, when it was down. You know, once they once they went through a, for a couple of rounds of debates and people were dropping out and so forth, it was down to a couple old white guys. This is. What the Democrat Party has has become, and I only mention that. I, I it makes no difference to me, but I mention it because this is a party that tells us constantly that all that matters is racial identity. Again, people are much more peace, uh, much more than that. This this uh, this letter, the statement continues. Not very well written, by the way, either. But was Joe Biden ever labeled too ambitious because he ran for president three times? I've never called anybody too I don't know who's calling people too ambitious. I've not heard that. But Biden has run for president three times. In fact, many folks are now seeing on Facebook a video from Biden in 1988 when Biden got into a lot of trouble. You know, you hear people say today, Biden's a good man. Go back and watch some of that stuff from 88. In fact, I might play some of that. When he tells a reporter, I'll gladly put my IQ up against yours. Told a reporter that. That's a good guy. But the guy that he wanted to 
beat up here at his campaign rally. What about that guy? What about the guy he called fat? Good guy, Joe Biden. Anyway, was Biden ever labeled too ambitious because he ran for president three times? Sounds like he's not one to vote for Biden. The folks that signed this this particular statement, this letter, should President Obama not have made him VP because he had to worry about his loyalty when he clearly had ambition to be president himself. What is the thinking here? Are we supposed to take from that that Obama should have feared that Biden was going to run a coup d'etat and overthrow the Obama administration? Is that where this doesn't even make sense? There's term limits, P. Diddy. There's term limits. Eight years, we know, I mean, there's, what in the world? I mean, this is just silly stuff. Why does Senator Kamala Harris have to show remorse for questioning Biden's previous stance on integrated busing during a Democratic primary debate? Because she went after, she went at him hard. She basically came close, she might have. I mean, I, I it, if she didn't outright say it, she made it definitely seem to be the case that she thought Biden was racist. Seems like a relevant thing. You just want us to to ignore that? You think the Biden team should ignore that? You talk about someone, I mean, some concerns here. We already know that Biden only plans to run one term. In fact, I saw a poll. I think it was a poll among Democrats. A lot of Democrats. I mean, it's like half. Don't expect Biden to serve the full four-year term. So really, really you're voting for, to some degree, the vice president to be the president, if that's the case, if the Democrats are right. Anyway, I'll get more into this after the break. Next break, got to take a quick time out. You're listening here to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. We'll be back in just a minute. back a little quicker than I anticipated. I was reading this this letter, but but P. Diddy and the 100-plus black male leaders who signed this statement continued. Have, the, have Democratic Party leaders, allies, or donors ever required Joe Biden to show remorse for the 1986 or 1988 anti-drug abuse bills, which established min- uh, mandatory minimum sentencing and subsequently crack cocaine sentencing disparities and by his own admission led to mass incarceration. Have they, by the way? I guess that, that's a fair question. What about the 1994 crime bill? Let's be clear about the kind of remorse and reckoning that matters in 2020 when the black community is still suffering the consequences for these oppressive measures. So... Black women are the only are the only ones required to stay in their place and to show remorse for even questioning their own oppression. I mean, I'm not saying I, I don't know what he's talking about here at some point, but but to the larger point, um, there are questions about Biden that no one in the Democratic Party seems to have any interest in asking. I will agree with him on that in general terms. For too long, black women have been asked to do. Everything from rally the troops to risk <clears throat> excuse me, their lives for the Democratic Party with no acknowledgement, no respect, no visibility, and certainly not enough support. If that's true, by the way, 
If that's true, I mean, he's accusing the Democratic Party itself of being racist. More than 700 black women signed on to a letter demanding a black woman VP. And we black men stand in solidarity with them. Failing to elect, excuse me, to select a black woman in 2020 means, all caps, you will lose the election. We don't want to choose between the lesser of two evils. We don't want to vote the devil we know versus the devil we don't because we are tired of voting for devils, period. Vice President Biden, don't take that risk. Black women are defining the future of politics. So it's time you let one define the future of your campaign. In solidarity, Sean Diddy Combs, and there's a lot of other names on here. There's I'm not going to read them all. Although I do see Leonard Charlemagne the God signed right under P. Diddy as well, whatever that means. So black women are are defining the future of politics. I just it's just preposterous to me to think about this in terms of of race. I I understand to some, you know, to some point some of the the concerns and struggles and especially if if it's tr- true or can be demonstrated that someone isn't choosing someone because of their race or gender to be vice presidential nominee or whatever. I get that. But is that really what's happening here? seems to me that they're trying to just simply use this for you know political chatter to help the campaign because if you take this out if you take away the excitement or the anticipation for who his nominee is going to be and which woman and potentially which black woman is going to be his VP choice then there's nothing else to talk about nothing or or another way to look at it is there's a lot of other things to talk about but none of those are things that the Biden team want to discuss like Hunter Biden or Biden's enrollment uh, involvement, I should say, in the, uh, you know, um, unmasking, all that stuff that happened with with the Obama administration or, you know, Burisma or Tara Reid or just go out and answering questions. Why can't put sentences together and he wants to yell at people that ask him questions, challenging Trump to push up contests and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, come back and wrap up. Sit back, uh, sit tight, take one more break and come back and wrap up for the day. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. So Biden is going to make his announcement supposedly – I saw. I thought I saw he was going to make it yesterday. I get these emails because, yes, my friends signed me up for email lists. <laughs> email lists for all sorts, well, campaigns, and I don't even know who all I get emails from now. But Biden, Biden's been emailing me and all the other folks on the list, not just me, but to tell us, oh, you'll be the first to know. My, the days are, oh, they, we're counting down the days, the minutes You'll be the first to know. Join us for this. Give money for that. Blah, blah, blah. Here we are. I'm telling you, it's the only thing they want to talk about because what else do they have? And they're going to have to eventually get past this, but not quite yet. Milk it for all it's worth. I got to go SDGC in a few.